0: Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet... God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, who well, you have little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. My good friend, Jeff Thomas. Jeff, if you're listening out there in radio land, here's your shout out. Um, Jeff's a great guy and hoping maybe one day he'll return to Lynchburg City Church. But he said, we should memorize some scripture. I said, okay. I'm a pretty competitive person. So I'm like, yeah, okay. All right, let's do this. He said, all right, what do you want to memorize? And I said, I want to memorize something that I want to memorize something that I need to hear. And so I, I said, let's memorize this whole passage. Luke 12, 22 to 34. And um, I wanted to memorize this passage because, it, because of what it deals with, with anxiety and worry and fear. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but at least on a weekly, if not on a daily basis, these are all things that I really have a hard time with. And... When you hear sermons or passages of scripture that deal with things that you're going through, it has a way to prick your heart and just break through anything else that might be acting as a barrier. I figured that uh, I-, I, liked, I liked this passage so much and, and so much and so I wanted to memorize it so I could preach it to myself every day. And this summer while I was at Fort Knox, I don't know that there was a day that went by. I was like, oh, I got a two minute walk. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, just recite this passage because I, I needed to hear it every day. And I can't imagine um, any of you not needing to hear this. It seems that uh, I can't just imagine the heavy hearts in this room right now. The things I don't even know about that you're going through. Um, I, I know it's real. That's why, um, that's why we, we do church. That's why we are church, because we're a family. And Jesus' disciples were not immune to worry. They were not immune to fear. They were not immune to anxiety. Neither are we. So, this is what Jesus says. And this is what we're going to unpack today. So, his premise is don't fear, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. That's the premise he lays for us. That's the groundwork for today's message in verse 22 and verse 23. And he's going to give his reason. In Latin, it's known as an a fortiori argument. And if there's Latin experts in the room, I'm sorry if my pronunciation is not precise. But it literally means and argues from the greater. A fortiori, it's from the greater. He's going to argue from greater to lesser in order to prove his point of why they should not worry, of why they should not be afraid. So he begins in verse 24, and he says, consider the ravens. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He takes care of birds. Birds are less valuable than you. So it stands to reason that he'll take care of and provide for you. He goes on to say this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? The understanding here is that worry is pointless. If you worry, if you're afraid, if you're anxious, what's the most productive thing it could do? Could it add an hour to your life? No. can't add so much an hour. Not even to your week, not to your day, not to your month. It can't even add an hour to your life. Worry is futile. It doesn't bring about anything that is good or helpful. And Jesus says... If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? If it doesn't do anything, then why do you keep doing this? I mean, this is like the... It's like the... The guy who's taking his PT test. I took a PT test yesterday. Some of you take PT test? That's the guy who... He's got eight laps. He's got to finish in under 16 minutes. He's on lap five and he's 24 minutes into the run. Kind of pointless. No point at that point. I mean, yeah, you can go, oh, I finished, but there's no point, right? You can't, there's nothing you're gonna accomplish um, as far as just a raw score, as far as passing. You've, you've already failed. Or maybe this is the guy who, you know, are like, hey, that girl over there, you know, she's single? And I'm like, nope, nope, that's my wife. <laughs> yeah. Shut down. No, no, it's, it's, it's pointless, all right? It's pointless. You're, you're like, okay, gotcha. Like that, that, she's married, got it. And yet, with worry, some way or another, we just think that maybe if we worry, or we're anxious, or we're afraid, maybe something changes, something happens differently. Nope, same outcome. Same outcome. And Jesus says the same thing. It's pointless. It's futile. And then he moves on to verse 27. He says, "Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." You may never have heard of Solomon before. Solomon would have been Jesus' his great 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 throwing lots of greats grandfather. He was the third king of Israel. He was King David's son. He was the wisest, wealthiest man ever. Period. And here's a little excerpt into who this man was, in, taken from 1 Kings chapter 10, 4-7. to And when the queen of Sheba, she came to visit him to see if this was, if all the things she heard was true, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbears, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. He had it going on. And you think about lilies. I spent some time on Lake St. Clair in near Olympia, Washington. And I see the lilies all the time when I'm in the lake or on the lake. And I always think of this verse, consider the lilies, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Sometimes the lilies, depending on what time of the year, they'll just be little lily pads. And other times they'll have little flowers blossoming from them. You see, in worry and anxiety and fear, oftentimes we are preoccupied. What am I going to wear? Man, what clothes am I going to have right now? And we become so preoccupied with how we look and what we wear. And he says, think about the lilies from this perspective. They do just fine. And they make no effort at all. What's the latest this or that I need to wear? All right, Solomon, in all the effort that he could make to look legit, and how he appeared, so when I compare those to the lilies, Solomon has nothing on them. They make no effort. They're just there. God takes care of it. Remember his premise. Don't be worried about food, about clothing, about basic necessities. I got it. That's the premise there. And so he says, I got, I'm going to take care of birds. Check. Birds are less valuable than you. Check. Then it stands to reason I'll take care of you. Got it. I'm going to take care of lilies. Lilies are less valuable than birds. Birds are less valuable than you. I'm going to take care of you. And yet, we struggle with this. So he keeps going. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Grass. Ancient first century Palestine. Lumber, wood, wood. Not readily available. So if you wanna throw in that oven-baked pizza or cook something on your stove, you need some, something to keep it burning. So people would use grass. That's why it says grass thrown in the oven. Uh, they would use grass, to essentially as kindling. Think about grass. Kind of insignificant, right? Uh, cows eat grass. We mow the grass. Okay, that's it, I got, that's all I got. <laughs> he says, I'm concerned about the grass. I'm concerned about you. Birds, less valuable than you. I'm taking care of you. He says, lilies, less valuable than birds. I'm taking care of you. Grass, less valuable than lilies. I'm taking care of you. Christian, I'm taking care of you. And I, I should Make sure that you understand the words from Jesus today, they don't apply to everyone. They, don't, they apply to his followers. And some of you, you're not Christians in here today. Some of you, you think you are Christians because you made a decision for Jesus or prayed some prayer at a summer camp. Um, but there's no evidence. You don't bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, I would say for this to really make sense and apply to your life, you need to become a follower of Christ. You need to place your faith in the message of the gospel. That God sent his son. That he lived a perfect life. That he died a sacrificial death. That he hung on the cross. That he was buried. That three days later he rose from the, from the dead. Conquering sin and death. Proving who he claimed to be. And that salvation is a free gift of God. By grace alone. Through faith alone. And true faith is always preceded and followed by repentance. Repentance. Not a, man, I feel sorry. It's a, in the army we say it's an about face. It's a, it's a 180 degree turn. It's a hatred for the things that God hates. A love for the things that God loves. A desire to grow in holiness. To be not like the world, but to be like Jesus. That's what repentance is. And I should make sure that you are fully aware of that when hearing the words I'm saying today. They are for Christians as they were for his disciples 2,000-plus years ago. And now he says in the next verse, For all the nations, this is verse 30, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He is not unaware of the needs in your life. And a lot of you, you you have needs in your life. Like, if he doesn't show up and answer this prayer in the next month or the semester... Like, some of you are like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Because it's just gotten that real. And so what do you do? You worry, you're anxious, you're afraid. His disciples were not immune to this. And the world, the world is saying, find your security. Because that's really what this is contextually. The world is saying, find your security, find your hope your joy, I can keep going, your happiness in everything other than Jesus. Segue to what we're all about at Lynchburg City Church. You see why we have Christian hedonists slapped on the back of some of these t-shirts? Why? Because as I say time and time again, we are all about your joy, your happiness, your satisfaction, your security, your faith in Jesus in a world that says, Find it anywhere and everywhere else. And that's one fold of the answer. The other fold is that, the other part is as the ancient Bible teachers used to say, for the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. See, we glorify what we enjoy. You make much of things that you love. You do, All right? Whether it's the 18-year-old freshman bragging about, you know, his new girlfriend that he got at Sifa. <laughs> man, she's so hot, man. Yeah, dude, she's smoking. We glorify what we enjoy. We make much of what we enjoy. I say this all the time. What's my favorite hockey team? LA <laughs> hey, You've been to my house. You know the Rangers are my favorite hockey team. Why? Because it's evident. It's obvious. You don't have to ask. You know, if I wasn't wearing this, I'd probably be wearing a Rangers t-shirt or something. It's, it's evident. It's obvious. See, we glorify. We make much of what we enjoy. And we want you to enjoy and to find your happiness and contextually within the story to find your security in Christ because the world is saying, hey, find it in everything other than him. And I get 30 minutes once a week to plead with you not to. Find your security in this, this relationship or the relationship that you hope to have. That's very applicable to many of you. Uh, He says, don't do that. He wants you to be kingdom focused. He says, instead, he says, don't do that. The world is trying to sell that to you. Don't do that. Instead, seek, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then verse 32. The reason we have it in the bulletin, because that's the big one. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice, he doesn't say... Josh, don't worry. Just don't be afraid. So often you hear some of the dumbest Christian advice. You're struggling with depression. Just don't be depressed. Is that coming in like a, a liquid or just a pill form? <laughs> he doesn't just say that, and, and oftentimes we do that in our biblically illiterate society today, because all we really know is John three sixteen. We don't know anything else really, other than that. We can't. We can't even articulate the gospel. And that's a problem. Um, We say, John 3, 16, Jesus loves you and try not to worry. And that's, that's it. That's not good. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knows his disciples are prone to worry. And his antidote is not to just tell them, don't worry, but to show them, this is big. He wants to show them something bigger than their worry. He wants to show them something bigger than their fear. He wants to show them something bigger than their anxiety. He wants to show his followers more clearly who their God is. And that's exactly what he's going to do in verse 32. He can't just say, don't worry. You need something bigger than the worry. So he says, fear not. He says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. He says, fear not little flock and you say, what's a flock? Well, flock, they're, they're sheep. What are sheep? Well, they're kind of small, are kind of insignificant, weak. So one says, well, why does he call them little flock? This isn't super encouraging right now. He calls them little flock because it's true. If you're big, if you're strong, if you're in charge, you don't worry. You got it all together. He calls them little flock because that's true. Because the premise, they are prone to worry. They are prone to be afraid. Anxiety, the works, yes. And so he calls them little flock because it's true. The thing is, if we're a flock, that makes him a shepherd. And what are shepherds? Shepherds know the condition of their flock. Yeah, that one, that's that's our best looking sheep right there. That sheep that's definitely not the best look, that one's that, that sheep that that sheep's hurting. That sheep, yeah, is is injured. Uh, that sheep needs a haircut. That sheep, like like shepherds know their flock. That's what a shepherd's job is. Shepherds need to know their flock, which is why I'm all about like like uh, I'm all about like this whole church. We're a family which is probably the vast majority of you, I have probably said hi to. I want to get to know you. I've invited you to a small group because part of my job is to know the condition of my troops. The other part of my job is to know the condition of my church. I need to know what's going on. Oh, by the way, you all have a shepherd if you're a follower of Christ. And he knows right now the hurts and the pains. He knows about the tears that you were crying last night that you don't think anybody else knows about. He knows what's going on. Jesus' antidote to fear and worry and anxiety is to give his followers a deeper understanding of God. And these are some of the implications. And the other implication is, as we see here, it says, For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You've got a father. And some of you, when I say that, you don't like that. Because your dad, he was a no-show. My dad, physically present, emotionally absent. I say, Dad, you were never there. Yeah, I was. You were there like in this, I come home, how much money you need? I write the check. Okay, you're good. And some of you, like, got that. Or your dad, you you never even knew him. Or if you didn't know him, you'd always be walking around on eggshells because you don't want to make dad mad. You upset dad, and he beats you. Physically abusive. Emotionally abusive. Sexually abusive. that's some of you in here right now. So when I say that you have a father who loves you, the images, they're not positive ones that are conjured up right now. This father's different. This is a different father. And this father, it says it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's not just concerned about your basic needs, church. He's concerned about giving you the very best thing he can give you. And you might think the very best thing you could give me is that girl, that guy, that relationship, that job, that paycheck, that house, whatever. He says, I know you might think that way, but actually the very best thing that I could give to you is I could give you myself. I could give you the kingdom. And notice, he's going to give the kingdom. Not sell, give. Not trade, give. The flock, the little flock, gets to enter in and enjoy the kingdom. And at this point, some of you say, No way. Like, that's not possible. Like, I got to do something. Someone doesn't just do that. i talking to a soldier this summer. It's not by, by grace alone, through faith alone, right? No. Like, it's just too easy, right? I feel like I need to do something. You say, That's not possible for him just to give it away. I say, Yes, it is. Why? Because of the cross. That's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, you're awful. The message of the gospel is, you suck. You're filthy, you're dirty, you hate God, Romans 1.30, you're an enemy of God, Romans 5.10, even your mind is hostile to God, Romans 8.7, and he comes and he cleans you up. You don't do anything. He saves you by grace alone, through faith alone. Something to think about this Reformation Day on Saturday. So, why we're not Catholics, why we don't say, oh, you're saved by faith alone, oh, but you have to do all these good works. That's the fundamental difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. Grace alone through faith alone. Grace alone, faith alone, and you've got to do all these works and works. Something to think about. You've got a father, and he loves to give the kingdom. It isn't prosperity gospel or theology? It's himself. He does it at great cost, and notice he doesn't do it begrudgingly. Some of you have fathers, and they and maybe they give things, but they give things maybe out of spite or they're mad, or they give it begrudgingly. It makes his day to do this. Do you not see it? It's his good pleasure to do this. It makes his day, and he does it at great cost to himself to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. There's an implication there. There's a king. What are kings? They're strong. They're powerful. They're authoritative. They can get things done. Oh, we're, we're, we're sheep. We're weak. We're small. We're insignificant. That's really good news. We got a king. We got an advocate. He's strong. He's powerful. Oh, that's good news. Therefore, no fear. You have a shepherd who knows your challenges. The hurts, the pains, the things that are keeping you up at night. The things that you're putting on your prayer card or that you want to put on your prayer card but maybe you're too afraid to. He knows about those things. You've got a father who loves to give you the kingdom, the best thing he could give. You've got a king who's strong and powerful and authoritative and can get things done. Therefore, no fear. Preach this to yourself to fight worry, to fight Fear. And this can be hard sometimes for some of you who you don't desire God. You're like, Joe, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I just don't, I don't desire him. Like, I don't want to come to church if I'm being honest. I don't want to come to small group if I'm being honest. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. So how do I even preach this to myself if those are all the things I'm feeling right now? And that's why it's so important that there's a church so that we can, as Paul says in Romans 12, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That we can be there in those moments when some of us are so spiritually drained and hurting in that valley that we can come alongside people because we're a family, because we know about each other. I want us to know about each other. And it doesn't just happen on Sunday nights. That's what what I want. I want you to know people. That's why we do intermission to kind of have a little off spark right there. That's why I say small group. Come to small group. Come to church activities. It's not that fun. It's not about you in the first place. It's to get to know and be known so that we can help each other do this in those moments of weaknesses. And then he says in the final two verses, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Here Jesus describes two types of treasures that someone can have. A temporary treasure and an eternal treasure. Two types, temporary, eternal. And the temporary treasures are characterized by a couple things. They grow old, they fail, they can be stolen, they can be destroyed. And then the eternal treasures are immune to these things. I mean, he gives some really good advice. He gives great advice. Two types of treasures. You want this one? You want the one that is eternal? What do you do? You become the sort of person that is characterized by generosity. It's the sort of person that our father is in verse 32. It makes his day to give us the kingdom. So he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Let me be clear. Let me be really, really clear here. It's not wrong to have things. It becomes wrong when you hold onto them so tightly that you're unable to be the type of person that he says in verse 33, that you're unable to be like your father who's characterized by generosity. That's when it becomes wrong. It's not wrong to have things. Just hold on to them like this. And the temptation and the fear and the worry is to hold onto them like this because I'm afraid, because I know I got that bill, because I know that this is going to happen, and I know if this relationship doesn't work out, then I I mean, they say you're going to be single, you know, you're going to be a bachelor to the rapture. If you leave Liberty, you never find a like, and there's, there's fear, right? There's fear. There's humor, but there's fear. And so what do you do? The temptation is that you're not this type of person in your relationships. You're not this type of person in your finances. You're not this type of person in your job. You're not this type of person that Jesus wants you to be. You're this type of person because you're so afraid. You don't want to let go. Worry and anxiety and fear, they drive you to be this type of person. Because you got to have a security, right? you got that security uh, network in place. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Remember, he's already said, I'm going to take care of you. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm not just going to take care of you. I figure I'd raise the stakes. I'm going to give you the very best thing I possibly could give to you. The kingdom. To enter into it. To enjoy me. Oh, that those realities might sink into both your head and your heart. That you become the type of person that you can go from here to hear why because he takes care of birds why because he takes care of lilies why because he takes care of grass right cows eat it we mow it sometimes okay why because we have a shepherd who knows our hurts our pains our struggles because we have a father who loves and cares for us and because we have a king who is strong and powerful and authoritative and can get things done, therefore, no fear. May we be the type of person here, not here. May the realities of this text move you more so that you become this type of person. That you are not afraid. God, we love you. We worship you. And we praise you because you rock. Some of us in here, Lord, we struggle with fear and anxiety and worry all the time. And not only is it not profitable, but it actually hinders us from being like you, from being the type of generous person that you would have us be because we're so scared and fearful and afraid. I pray that these words would root deep in our lives. That we would know Bible. We would preach Bible to ourselves. And that we would preach Bible to other people when they're so spiritually weak and hurting that they just don't want to even open their Bible some days. That we might be those type of people. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this text, God. Because you know, not everyone in here knows, but you know just how much I just struggle with fear and anxiety and worry All the time. So I pray that you would build this church. I pray that you would protect this church. I pray that you would increase our joy in you. And that we would not be afraid. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and our great God and King. Your name, Jesus. Amen.